everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 160. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan of LA, Alex and Jesse. I'm Chris Tucker, aren't I? Oh, man. That's cool. I'm <laughs> yeah. fine with it. I just wish I had Jackie Chan powers. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want Although any Jackie trouble. Jackie Chan has a hole in his head, so like, it's all right. I, I saw all three any, of those movies. I don't want no I'm very excited. For the next one. They're, they're I working will on a not new one. knock over that vase. And if I have a rolled up newspaper, you better watch the fuck out. And don't think that I can't jump through a tiny little mail slot. Shimon because Lee? I can. Shimon Lee? Yeah. <laughs> Camel's uh, hump. Yeah. Are we excited for the new Rush Hour movie, by the way, gentlemen? Did you the raise what? your hand because it's the only movie franchise you've ever seen every entry in? <laughs> There's a That's new Rush Hour? <laughs> Lord of the I've Rings and all, Star Wars don't count. Uh, I'm trying to think of another full, a full, (laughs) a full franchise I've seen front to back. A full franchise. Everybody's seen Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Those don't count. God God damn it. uh, Damn it. I was going to say like Alien, but I've only seen Alien and Aliens and I didn't go past that. Terminator. I've seen Terminator 1 and 2 and then I didn't go past that. We got them, kids. We got them, boys. There's got, you know, I'll think of it. Air Bud? No, I haven't seen all the Air we Buds. Got like, Why would you even happen. watch all the Air Buds? Why is that the next <laughs> one you know, went I'm to? Just to? I'm thinking of <laughs> franchises that I have, that maybe Indiana I have Jones seen. Indiana Jones kind of doesn't count either. I have seen the Indiana Jones, though. So if that, but if that doesn't count, then that's. I would I can't, also say I, The Godfather doesn't count, but I know well, that I've you seen, haven't. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I haven't seen, seen any yeah. Godfathers, so <laughs> I have never seen them. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to think on that yeah. while Alex takes Is it away. Another, we're, I've been Googling if there's another Rush Hour you. movie. That's not there's true. Four, there's a fourth Rush Hour. Yeah. No. no they're, they're working on one. Are they not? That's what I heard. Am I wrong? Did it die in COVID? I, I swear I just... January 21st, 2022, Rush Hour 4, what we know so far. Can Damn. I tell you what's crazy about this? So I'm on IMDb, and it says the only person attached. There's two people, Chris Tucker and the writer. And I was like, I got, <laughs> what did the writer do? What has the writer that's, done? That's barely Rush Hour at that point. <laughs> here's the crazy thing. Yeah. Here's the crazy thing. The, plots the writer for Rush Hour me there. has written Rush Hour. As a, first off, this is insane. Has written... Only the Rush Hour movies. <laughs> what else and is there? Rush Hour TV show. And there was a Rush Hour TV Rush show? Hour 4. Yeah. And what's even crazier, uncredited uh, script revisions. This is madness. These three movies uncredited. One, Star Trek First Contact. Two, <laughs> Cliffhanger. Three, Universal Soldier. <laughs> this, ro- this guy wrote <laughs> Mathis's childhood. <laughs> single-handedly wrote Mathis's childhood are you the writer it was me that's why the only movies I've seen are the ones I've worked on he's just super method that's why he hasn't watched any movies I can't get into it you know ruin my my creative process his rule of watching movies is if Lee and Carter haven't seen the movie neither has he (laughs) Uh, I've seen there was something it's gone that's how that's how it always goes yeah, there's something there for a minute. <laughs> Welcome back to part three of the first of several JFK episodes I'm going to be doing this year. Welcome back. Uh, this is, if, we're gonna, it's gonna be like ten parts. Everybody, don't Just like even, this is gonna be. Don't think about a that right journey. Now. 
Don't think about that right now. If if for some reason this is your first time listening to the show, first of all, welcome. Go back and listen to the first parts of this episode so you don't get lost. And second of all, patreon.com slash Pod isn't just the only place where you can spend money that directly supports the continued production of this fine show you're listening to right now. It's also literally descending into the basement of the Dallas police station and delivering a single 38 caliber bullet of value straight to an accused presidential assassin's oh abdomen in the form of fresh minisodes after every full ad re, ad free episode, early access to the Illuminati presents rotten popcorn, our all new lawsuit free movie commentary show, bespoke monthly digital posters, a regular drip feed of free Illuminati shirts, and much, much more. It's a full fledged government sanctioned conspiracy of savings. Patreon.com slash Illuminati pod. It's there. <laughs> A government sanctioned conspiracy of savings? <laughs> There's never been such a thing. There's never there in the now. history of government has there been such a thing. No one can see this, but Jesse is completely shrouded in darkness for today's like get together calling. And I don't know, man, you might be the government sanctioned agent that allows for such he things. He looks like yeah. a whistleblower. He looks like a whistleblower right now. No joke. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, wait, wait, like, wait, before you go, then yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to steal it from you. Two things Take that I want to push forward. Take One, it. Hey, because of you guys, rotten popcorn, the show, uh, there's five, there's six episodes on Patreon, but now we have a full on public RSS feed where we'll be uploading one episode a month. The Mothman prophecies was uploaded recently. That was, was so long ago. To our main feed. There will be no more rotten popcorn episodes on our main feed. It was just to let you guys know, Hey, that's out there. Can so I, if you can want I it, ask a question, can I just say yeah. a thing? Yeah, you can. Um, so I know. During that first episode, we didn't know what to call it. And for a few yeah. episodes after, we didn't know what to call it. And the two of you took some time and you thought about what to call it. And then you said, we're going to call it Rotten Popcorn. I went to go look at the comments in that first one. And every comment is like, I was confused because there's another show called Rotten Popcorn that I really enjoy. And I thought that was an episode of that. Oh, no, there's another Rotten Popcorn. That's our tradition. So, so don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> That's there one of the go. things. No matter That's what one you of the Illuminati. You ne- <laughs> here's, here's what you need to learn from the internet. No matter what you try to do, someone has already done it. So what am I supposed to do? Here's I what we know. do. We'll do what we did last time. Wait it out and do nothing. And it'll just go away. <laughs> uh, it worked out at least yeah. once for us. Yeah. It's true. Um, but hey, yeah, once a month we'll be uploading. Go subscribe to that RSS feed. You guys can go listen to it for free now. The only uh, show called Rotten Popcorn at Chaluminati on the internet. Yep. Uh, also, go to the yeti.com slash Chaluminati. We sold out of Mothman plushes, uh, the first Amazing. wave of 500 in 12 hours. Uh, they were just gone. What's wrong um, with so you So they're people? all up for pre-order now. They're working on the second wave of them. So if you want to guarantee yourself a Mothman plush, Go to uh, the yeti.com slash Chaluminati and go get yourself pre-ordered for one now so that when they all come out again, you have one. You don't have to wait for wave three. And you love it. The best part is you can bring them to shows and we'll definitely sign them for you. And absolutely. It. I'll kiss have right you guys seen the all the pictures of Mothman plush, like traveling the world from all the people who just like, have Mothman. it out there? It's I good. Can't believe it's some it. good stuff. I can't believe awesome. how much people love that little fucker. He's so adorable. I he makes such a sound. It makes such an awful sound for how pretty he is. Is that the upgrade? Next time we do a Mothman plush, we get the, the call. You squeeze Mothman, his little wing. Mothman and he... Build-A-Bear. Mm-hmm. You can hug him there and you you, it could be like, Oswald couldn't possibly have acted alone. <laughs> Jet fuel can't melt uh, steel beams. Get one of four conspiracy <laughs> sayings with your Mothman. Yeah. Uh, and then the one, right. the one like junk prize is me just like, that's not real. 
<laughs> not even the Mothman is real. There, though. Go back to sleep. Yeah, it's just, not it's, even the stop it's, dreaming. It's, it's, instead of a Mothman, one in twelve people gets a Jesse plush. It's like that's not real. <laughs> just with a Chiluminati T-shirt on. It's, it's the exact same thing, except it's just flesh-colored. It's, it's like it's HD texture of your face wrapped over the front of it. With wings coming out the back. That's yeah. like, that like uh, would be a Jesse merch from like 2015. That's not real. Uh, all right, that's all I had, Alex. You can take it back now. Anyway... Just like last time, we're going to continue winding our way through They Killed Our President, 63 Reasons to Believe There Was a Conspiracy to Assassinate JFK by Governor Jesse Ventura. And it's not a good book, again, but it does work as he's a great little- He's not a good little, man, no. and you should not take anything he says. I'm not going to say he's he not says. a good man. I'm just going to say this book is not, like, <laughs> almost every link leads to a broken YouTube video link. Like, almost every citation in the book leads to, like, something that, that is no longer- most of the available. stuff in the book is based off of YouTube? I had to go through great pains to like backdoor verify every quote that I put in this goddamn book. It's fucking crazy. It's fucking. <laughs> well, I, I probably yeah. did more work than he did in writing the book. Honestly, the setup has been great. A- episode one of JFK was really just kind of the facts. And then as episode two and now episode three, as we go into the Jesse Ventura stuff, it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Are you in the future somehow? Because this is still episode one, baby. Oh, it's still so episode sorry. one. Don't forget. Listen, for this, for the sake of our listeners, this is part three. <laughs> For the sake of me, I promise you, this is only episode one. Uh, I don't even good. know what that means. Last time, I know. I last me neither. Last time we finished by talking about Jack Ruby knowing Oswald before killing him and his possible <laughs> CIA and mob connections. Uh, but before we get back to it, here's a little disclaimer: John F. Kennedy was a real person, and his assassination was a real act of violence. Therefore, we're going to be discussing some seriously disturbing imagery and subject matter throughout the course of this series. This was the high-profile murder of a sitting U.S. president. Videos and pictures you Google after listening to this may disturb you, so proceed with caution. It also happens to be one of the most notorious moments in world history, and therefore it's extremely ingrained in our national culture at all levels. So sometimes it's easy to forget that it really happened, and it wasn't really that long ago, and I'm sure that at some point during this, one, two, or all three of us, maybe even right after I finish talking, Matt is going to say something <laughs> absolutely disgusting. But one of us is going to say something flippant about this in ways we haven't been about other murders on the show. So let me apologize for that in advance. Also, please remember that until the very end, I'm going to be reporting on what other people think happened that day. If you don't like what you hear, don't shoot the messenger, at least until the end when I tell you what I think. And finally, even though I promise I'm going to try and do this to the best of my ability, I am not an expert. I'm just an internet comedian. I'm probably going to make some mistakes, maybe even some egregious ones. So again, let me apologize for that in advance and for whatever disgusting thing Mathis is about to say. And now, uh, listen, without further <laughs> ado, on, no. all I was, I just had a scientific curiosity. Do you think? Do you think when his brains were blown out, the part of his brain still in the skull, if you pushed it, it gave him like a boner on command. You'd be like, and it's like, pop up. Why would you say that? Like a little boner button in his brain that was still hanging hanging out. I got a boner button in my brain, baby. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, baby. Isn't that maybe one of like the the Secret Service agents in the hospital when nobody was around? No one did that. No one did that. You know what my boner button's called? Pregnant Pokemon drawings. That's what it's called. Uh, Just kidding. What is this podcast? It's just, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so this is this is marked explicit every please, episode, uh, please, okay? Please make sure you can see my fiance in the background of the sh- webcam. <laughs> no one can see her. her head in her hands and crying. All I see is she's like, she's, she's disappointed right, and laughing. Uh, it checks out. It checks out. <laughs> Weeping it's for her loss. Just- which Pokemon? Like, which Pokemon? Which pregnant Clefairy. Pokemon is the hottest? Clefairy is the one. Gardevoir. That's yours? 
pregnant No, that's Clefairy. the one that she left the room. She literally got up and left the room. Ladies and gentlemen, the fiance has left the building. It's over. <laughs> give me, it's give over. me a pregnant trubbish and I will rail pregnant that Pregnant trubbish, that's what you want? You, you heard yeah. it, folks. Send that to my boy, Mathis. Uh, last time, uh, pregnant we Snorlax. Ended, yeah, pregnant Snorlax. He already is. Yeah. That's the thing. They just didn't know. It's like one of those Montel oh episodes. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight months pregnant. I didn't know. Last time, <laughs> uh, we ended with a section called the cleanup, and now it's twenty nine through thirty two, which is called cleanup again. So uh, first today, uh, before we start with new information, I just want to have Mathis read just the last part of the Justice Department memo I read a couple weeks ago. In the mini-sode I did as a little trailer for this uh, first little JFK starter pack trilogy that I made here. Uh, yeah, if you want the JFK prequel, uh, you know, the the preamble, go to patreon.com slash Yeah, and uh, this, it's, it's from three days after President Kennedy was assassinated. It's Monday, November 25th, 1963. I dropped it in Twitter for you, Mathis. Give yep, it a I got you. Yep. Here it is. <clears throat> the matter has been handled thus far with neither dignity nor conviction. Facts have been mixed with rumor and speculation. We can scarcely let the world see us totally in the image of the Dallas police than when our president is murdered. Wait, did I say that right? We can yep. scarcely let the world see us totally in the image of the Dallas police when our president is murdered. I think this objective may be satisfied by making public as soon as possible, a complete and thorough FBI report on Oswald and the assassination. This may run into the difficulty of pointing to inconsistencies between this report and the statements by Dallas police officials. But the reputation of the Bureau is such that it may do the whole job. The only other step would be the appointment of a presidential commission of unimpeachable personnel to review and examine the evidence. Oop. You, you, your new message bumped, uh, bumped oh, yeah, it all sorry. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only other step would be the appointment of a presidential commission of unimpeachable, unimpeachable personnel to review and examine the evidence and announce its conclusions. This has both advantages and disadvantages. I think it can await publication of the FBI report and public reaction to it here and abroad. I think, however, that a statement that all the facts will be made public property in an orderly and responsible way should be made now. We need something to head off public speculation or congressional hearings of the wrong sort. Nicholas Katzenbach, Deputy Attorney General. Yeah. Now, just like I said last time, I love this memo because depending on what you believe, this memo either means one, that this it's like an expression of shame after a fucked up media circus and just a desire from the government to get the real accurate story out there for people to read, which is like, you know, one sensible reading of this. And the other one, too, as Je uh, Jesse Ventura puts it, the smoking gun in a plot to cover up certain details of the conspiracy that was carried out on that fateful day. So regardless of which one you believe the memo is kind of interesting and is sort of just like this uh sort of proof that the government was thinking about this you know uh but uh jesse ventura says and this is all actually with his own emphasis which he conveyed with both italics and sometimes an underline quote and that's why they formed the warren commission that's the real reason not to find the truth but to bury it that's what he said. Dun, uh, dun, dun. I'm not sure which one you guys are leaning towards at this point, but up next, I have a couple different pieces of evidence to uh, the book says to look at here, uh, which are definitely closer to the option two side of the fence, if you know what I mean. First thing on the list is the fact that after President Kennedy was shot on the Friday, the limousine he was sitting in when everything went down, 
probably an endless supply of good forensic evidence, was already back in Detroit at the Ford factory, getting stripped down and rebuilt shiny and new. Uh, according to Ford, Ford Motor Company uh, senior manager George Whitaker Sr., who worked at the uh, Rouge plant in Detroit, uh, he found the car the same morning that the Justice Department memo was sent out, Monday, the 25th, with fully gutted. Uh, the, the car was fully gutted in the process of having its windshield replaced. He also saw the original windshield behind a locked door in the glass plant lab and explained that everything in the car had been completely destroyed and replaced. Uh, also, According to somewhat controversial Louisiana DA Jim Garrison, the president's corpse and his limousine were handled in a surprisingly similar manner. Uh, Here's a quote for Jesse to read, which I would appreciate him doing in a sugary sweet tone uh, like the one taken on by Kevin Costner when he played this man in Oliver Stone's much disputed but still worth watching uh, from a A skeptical perspective, largely fictional film JFK. (laughs) Sugary sweet. The government succeeded in accomplishing what normally it would not be able to accomplish in another city. It succeeded in getting the body of the president out of Dallas without an autopsy. In other words, Air Force One didn't so much take off as it made a getaway. The plane took off with the body of the president. We can't say it made a getaway and then say the plane to anyway. The plane <laughs> took off with the body of the president. And no civilian autopsy had been conducted. Then the body was placed in a controlled environment, the military hospital at Bethesda. And there the autopsy was conducted. After the autopsy, Commander Humes, who conducted the autopsy, burned his notes, which is probably the first time in history that a serious autopsy resulted in the burning of notes. Every time I just need Jesse's voice to be masked and muddled while he speaks. I love that, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I have no way of knowing whether it was the first time in history that somebody burned their notes or not. That seems insane. But it was actually true that according to Texas law, jurisdiction for the autopsy fell very clearly to local authorities rather than the federal ones. Like, that's the whole thing with Texas, right? Sure. They want their own authority over the government's authority. So it makes sense that that was their law. But also, uh, here's another quote from Mathis to read from a Secret Service uh, expert I've mentioned before. A guy called uh, Vince Palomara, who said the battle for president's uh, the president's body was waged between Secret Service agents and Dallas police at gunpoint. Oh, God. All right. Ironically, two of the agents who took participated in that illegal seizure of the president's body at gunpoint were Roy Kellerman and Bill Greer, who rode in JFK's limousine and were paramount to his supposed security. Since the murder of a president was not then a federal crime, the agents had zero jurisdiction. Yeah. And literally, Whoa, the is law- that true? A hundred percent. Even in the 60s? Multiple presidents have been shot and they still were like, no, nah, not a federal this, crime. This is why the law changed. Uh, was Crazy. This, yeah. So, you know, this is a nut thing. And this is like a very nuts thing for them to do because the law actually changed as a result of this happening. Uh, but it doesn't stop with the Secret Service, as there's also fairly decent grounds to half suppose that the FBI might have been involved in covering things up as well. Starting with the fact that literally 24 hours after the president was shot, Without any real evidence at all, the FBI's actual real biological daddy, J. Edgar Hoover, had already declared with certainty that Oswald was the killer. Admittedly, this seems weak on its own as evidence, but apparently there was also quite a bit of possible evidence and witness tampering going on all the time, too, often in the context of strong arming these witnesses into actually revising their version of events. Uh, We talked about this already a little bit last time with the guy who got shot in the head. 
and maybe change his story after seeing another guy hiding with Oswald in the car parking lot or whatever. Uh, but other witnesses even said that they went to go read their own testimonies back after the fact and were like horrified that basically what they told the agents interviewing them was just like straight up changed. And we'll, and we'll touch on that a little oh, bit damn. later, too. Uh, and this was because, according to Senator Richard Swiker, they were trying to obscure and clear their connection to both Oswald, a.k.a. informant number 179, and Jack Ruby. And here is a quote from that senator uh, for Jesse to read right now. I'm going to drop that in the little Zoom box for you. Jesse, your voice has to be like this. be like this. You got to be like. I can't be like that. I'm a senator. Yeah. <laughs> now, why did the FBI withhold for 12 years that Ruby oh God, had informed for them on nine occasions? That's the wrong. That's probably shouldn't do that everybody voice. Just, everybody from now that on, we insensitive. all do JFK voices, okay? And from seems now insensitive, on, all... considering the context. True. Uh, this wasn't national security information, so why were they so sensitive? Also, I'm certain there were extenuating circumstances in his activities running guns to Cuba. Uh, we were really running a secret war against Cuba, and we know the CIA was heavily involved. Ruby had to have been at least working for someone who was working for the CIA. Yep, and that's a senator again. Uh, and then we have the quote from J. Edgar Hoover's phone call where he's briefing President Lyndon Johnson, Kennedy's vice president, uh, about Oswald the day after the assassination, where he says, quote, we have up here the tape and the photograph of the man who was at the Soviet embassy. That picture and the tape do not correspond to this man's voice, nor to his appearance. It appears that there is a second person who was at the Soviet embassy. Like, why would that even be on the table as a conversation that anyone would be having if Oswald wasn't into some type of secret agent type shit? You know what I mean? Like, why would that even be a topic of conversation? You know what I mean? Uh, and here's a quote from Mathis to read from a former aide to U.S. House Majority Leader Hale Boggs from the time he served on the Warren Commission. Uh, here we go. This is from uh, Mathis. Is it going to be Zoom or Twitter? Zoom. There it is. <clears throat> Hale always returned to one thing. Hoover lied his eyes out to the commission on Oswald, on Ruby, on their friends, the bullets, the gun, you name it. Yeah. <clears throat> so... Like everybody knew that he was lying or making it up or it was coming from a manipulative place. And the next summer when Hoover was chilling out at the Hotel Del Charo down near San Diego with a bunch of super right wing Texas oil barons that he liked to vibe out with uh, one guy, Billy Byers Jr., who was like a teenage son of the like Baron Billy Byers, asked Hoover if he thought Oswald shot Kennedy and Hoover had this to say, quote, if I told you what I really know, it would be very dangerous to this country. Our whole political system could be disrupted. Anyway, so why even say that? Yeah, I know. Make what make of that what you will. Let me know if you can see through it. Also, though, oil barons reminds me. There's a lady a couple blocks over bumper sticker says "spoiled oil wife." Oh yeah, kind of popped into my head. You yeah. live next yeah, to a man. giant mansion, is that right? I mean, it's it's bigger than what I live you in. You are in but Texas, not, so I mean that checks out. Yeah, yeah, it's fair enough. Fair enough. So that's all. Do you think that you can see through my allegations or does it remind you of my next section? Number 33 through 35, the x-rays get it. You see what I did there? This next section is about x-rays and which you let you see through stuff like the title uh, says. Oh, oh, I see. I okay. So there it is. They connected. Sorry. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Researcher and former OSS agent and state department intelligent analyst, Harold Weisberg first brought forth the serious possibility that the x-rays of the president's head showed all kinds of bullet pieces and particles like scattered all through his skull. 
Uh, corroborating that is the congressional testimony from one of the morticians who saw the president's corpse that day, a guy called Thomas Robinson, who said, quote, it exited in many pieces and, quote, they were literally picked out little pieces of this bullet from all over his head. This is kind of maybe what you might expect from a bullet wound to the head, I suppose, maybe. But if you remember from part one, we were talking about frangible and non-frangible ammo, which makes this pretty compelling evidence for an alternative to the official story. Basically, the Carcano rifle Oswald is holding in those pictures and which he officially used to assassinate the president is a military weapon, which as per the Geneva Convention and NATO, we know is forbidden from firing fragmenting or frangible bullets. So that's how we know for sure. Yeah. What? Well, hold like, on. If you're going to shoot the president, forbidden is like, yeah, at that point, it doesn't matter. No, I forbidden. just mean the gun, <laughs> the gun can't shoot them. It, it's, it doesn't shoot them. It, it, it's not made, it, it's okay. not built to shoot them. Cannot okay. shoot them. Uh, so that's how we know for sure that it, it that, that rifle, as a, as a result of that, shoots full metal jacket bullets. That's the only kind that fit in it, uh, which definitely don't fragment, even though it seems like maybe the bullet in the president's head did fragment, which is, you know, not consistent. Uh, and next, to go along with this general strangeness, I have a few quotes taken straight from the book for Jesse to read, and then some for Mathis to read, just so we're all on the same page about what people saw that day at the hospital while these x-rays and autopsy photos are being taken. And this is definitely going to be a, uh, a Twitter boy for Jesse here. Okay, so there are multiple people here. <clears throat> Secret Service agent or special agent Clint Hill the right rear portion of his head was missing. It was lying in the rear seat of the car. His brain was exposed. There was blood and bits of brain all over the entire rear portion of the car. Mrs. Kennedy was completely covered in blood. There was so much blood you could not tell if there had been any other wound or not, except for the one large gaping wound in the right rear portion of the head. This is Nurse Diana Bowen. There was a gaping wound in the back of his head. It was a gone, gone. There was nothing there, just a big gaping hole. There might have been little clumps of scalp, but most of the <sighs> bone over the hole, there was no bone there. There was no damage to the front of his face. Only wound in the back of his head and the entry wound in his throat. The wound was so large, I could almost put my whole fist into it. Nurse Doris Nelson. There wasn't even hair back there. It was blown away. All that area was blown out. Nurse Pat Hutton. A doctor asked me to place <laughs> pressure. <laughs> oh, we got so many voices. This was no use, however, because of the massive opening on the back of his head. Dr. Malcolm Perry. There was blood in notes on the carriage. <laughs> oh, blood noted. Oops, sorry. <laughs> there was blood noted on the carriage and a large avulsive wound on the right posterior cranium. This man said posterior cranium. He Hold did. on, let me redo that. <clears throat> well, I see there was blood noted on the carriage <laughs> and a large elusive wound on the right posterior cranium. <laughs> better. I think that was uh, better. Yeah, I like that. Great. Uh, and the next, the next couple are for Mathis. I apologize again Excellent. for the uh, colorful imagery. I suppose you could call it. Apologizing to the wrong people. All right. Uh, Twitter again. Yep. 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 Here it is. Okay. 
Dr. Ronald Jones. There was a large defect in the backside of the head as the president lay on the cot with what appeared to be some brain hanging out of his wound with multiple pieces of skull noted next with the brain and the tremendous amount of clot and blood. There's a large, I wouldn't know if I would call the giant gunshot a large defect on his skull, but hey, I mean, everybody uses their own, I guess, descriptors. Yeah. Paul Peters. I noticed the head wound. And as I remember, I noticed there was a large defect in the Ossiput? Ocaput? I don't know. How do you say that? I'm not sure. 100%. Ossiput. For everybody out there, O-C-C-I-P-U-T. Like ocular, maybe? Like ocaput? That's what I was thinking. Like Like, ocaput? Ossiput? What is the two C? Yeah, I don't know. It's very confusing. It's got to be oc or os. Yeah. I'm going to go with ocaput. It seemed to me that in the right ocapital, ocapital, parietal area, that there was a large defect. There appeared appeared to be bone loss and brain loss in the area. We speculated as to whether he had been shot once or twice because we saw the wound of entry in the throat and noted the large occipital wound. Occipital word. Ossip- I know o- that word occipital, is occipital. Occipital word. So yeah, apparently it's occiput. Occiput. Get out of town. Occiput. Occiput. All right. You know we all learn. Uh, Doctor Kemp Clark then said, "I then examined the wound in the back of the president's head. There was a large gaping wound in the right posterior part with cerebral and cerebral." Cerebellar tissue being damaged and exposed. Then Nurse Margaret Hinchcliffe. I've only got one lady voice. <clears throat> the president has a gaping wound in the back of his head and an entrance wound in his throat. That sounds like a little tiny man is what it sounds like. He's real. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to <laughs> like, no, no, remember, right. it is about the high pitch, about the inclination. Just imagine yeah, well, you're a lady. Maybe she's don't, a very, let, don't worry about the high pitch. You don't need that. Maybe Not she's all women have high pitched voices. Maybe she's an aggressive New York woman with an extremely high pitched voice. Maybe okay? she's a little who lives on a boat? <laughs> uh, Bethesda photographer Floyd Ribe. A big gaping hole in the back of the head. That's very simple. Yep. FBI Special Agent Frank O'Neill. We'll give him the mixed voice. A massive wound in the right rear. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, all this just to say that it wasn't just a couple people misremembering this. And honestly, anyone who saw President John F. Kennedy with his skull blown out is probably going to remember it for the rest of their life anyway. Uh, There's even similar accounts of people remembering a big entry wound on the front of President Kennedy's forehead near his hairline, too. Uh, But that is actually somewhat reflected in the actual autopsy photos, uh, which I'll I'll give you a link to right now. But if you guys are actually Googling these photos, uh, which you absolutely should not do unless you're ready to see some very disturbing stuff, you'll notice that the picture themselves. I got to look at this. You don't have to if you don't want to. Whoa. No, that's unpleasant. Yeah, you'll notice that yeah, uh, the unpleasant. pictures themselves and everything else these people said don't really match with each other. Like you don't see there's actually a a picture of the back of his head, which is not a gaping hole in this photograph. Uh, so why is that? So according to David W. Mantic, who's both a physician and a JFK assassination researcher who's legit enough to be cited by the museum that currently occupies the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository Building, which is like a really good museum. That's because some modifications were made. And here is a quote about that for Jesse to read. Uh, I'm going to try and put it in the Zoom. Nope, it's going in Twitter. It's just got to go in the Twitter. Instead, they, the official autopsy photos and x-rays, were taken after tampering with Uh, tampering by H and B, Dr. Humes and Dr. Boswell, the two physicians who performed the autopsy of President Kennedy. Perhaps even after significant tampering, especially if Robinson and Reed are correct. Furthermore, 
The massive damage seen in the photographs and x-rays was not caused just by a bullet or even by multiple bullets, but instead by pathological hands. In particular, for a single full metal jacketed bullet, the Warren Commission's inevitable scenario, to generate such an enormous deficit or defect, sorry, has always defied credibility. Likewise, Boswell's sketch for the Assassination Records Review Board on the skull of this enormous defect only shows the condition of the skull after tampering by H and B and does not reflect the skull as seen at Parkland Hospital in Dallas. The Parkland witnesses fully concur with this. On the other hand, many witnesses at Bethesda saw the condition of the skull before such tampering began. These witnesses, both physicians and paraprofessionals, whatever that is, uniformly describe a right occipital blowout, right rear of skull, consistent with a shot from the front. And if you want to get even more detailed about what exactly went down in that regard, here is another quote from the mortician that day, Tom Robinson, who said they'd actually filled in that original wound with something, quote, about the size of a small orange, circular, ragged, directly behind the back of his head. They brought a piece of heavy duty rubber again to fill this area in the back of the head. It had to be all dried out, packed and the rubber placed in the hair and the skin pulled back over and stitched into that piece of rubber. It's pretty morose and bizarre for the mortician who worked on his body that day to say that, Uh, which I also think makes this pretty tough to stomach, because why, if you saw something like this, wouldn't you immediately blow it up in every newspaper? Right. Yeah. Uh, Well, counter to that, maybe it's because of what happened to Navy Lieutenant Commander William Bruce Pitzer. Pitzer was the, quote, head of the Navy TV unit at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maine, meaning he was in charge of the audiovisual department, meaning that at the time of Kennedy's assassination, he certainly handled all of the film and stuff associated with the autopsy. Some people have even said he was present for the actual autopsy itself, but according to what I could see, this was not able to be substantiated. Uh, Officially, though, years later, on October 29th, 1966, Pitzer was found dead in his office at the Medical Center TV studio days away from Navy retirement and with an excellent new job lined up teaching AV at a college from what was said to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. However, a couple things seem strange. Firstly, the dude was, quote, very cheerful, end quote, that day, and most people wouldn't have said he was depressed. Uh, He also did chores. He cooked breakfast. He grabbed some groceries for later and checked in on some work stuff that day which seems like it would be a strange thing to do if you were planning on being gone from this world in a few hours. Uh, He also actually wrote himself a note reminding himself to return the revolver to the security office after he was done with it, uh, which you wouldn't do if you were about to blow your own brains out. And furthermore, GSR tests uh, established that the victim had not recently fired a weapon and that the revolver used to shoot him was held over three feet away from his head when it was fired, which was made even more bizarre by the fact that these results were kept from the family by the FBI for years. Uh, And also, there's Daniel Marvin. Uh, Daniel Marvin was a Green Beret who commanded a team in South Vietnam from December 1965 to August 1966, and was the leader of a 12-man Special Forces team sent into Cambodia after the Viet Cong, who uh, eventually retired as a lieutenant colonel in 1973. Uh, Here's an excerpt from a thing he wrote in 1995, which I'll read for you now, uh, and which basically corroborates and colors in this whole story. 
Here we go. In the fall of 1993, while I was watching a documentary on the JFK assassination, I was stunned to see the name of William Pitzer flash across the screen in a list of violent deaths putatively linked with the cover-up of a conspiracy. Seeing that name jolted my memory back to the first week of August 1965 at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Colonel Clarence W. Patton, commanding officer of my unit, the 6th Special Forces Group, summoned me with instructions to meet a company man in an area adjacent to headquarters. Another Green Beret captain named David H. Vanek, with whom I had taken assassination training, joined me outside the building and we walked together, asking each other what this was all about. Neither of us had an inkling, except that it must be a covert mission of some sort. Not far, perhaps a hundred yards, and in the shade of some nearby pine trees, a slender man of five foot ten waited. Dressed casually in short sleeves, light slacks, and sunglasses appropriate for the August heat, he flashed his ID and took me aside. Would I terminate a man who was preparing to give state secrets to the enemy, a traitor in the making? I asked who the traitor was, and I was told he was a Navy officer, a Lieutenant Commander William Bruce Pitzer. The agent told me that Pitzer worked at Bethesda Naval Hospital. He said nothing of a link with the JFK autopsy, and I just assumed that Pitzer was one of those sorry types that went wrong and was going to sell secrets to our enemy. The job had to be done at Bethesda before the man retired from the Navy. I really didn't care about killing Pitzer, but I wasn't about to do that sort of thing here in the USA. And from the beginning, it was understood that we would be used overseas, not in our home turf. So I refused the mission after he'd already told me the guy's name, which is not a good thing. The agent seemed irritated, sure enough, but he'd goofed and he knew I was one of theirs. And when we parted, he and I both knew that the name would be as good as forgotten by me. I sure wouldn't want to compromise the plot to rid our military of a traitor, would I? The agent then simply turned around and walked over to meet Captain Vanek, who was just waiting out of earshot, and I headed back to my office. Whether or not that agent offered Vanek the same mission or whether or not he accepted the mission is only for him to say. I have neither seen nor heard of him these past 29 years. My numerous attempts to locate Vanek through the Department of the Army's Veteran Services Directorate in St. Louis were met with a 15th December 1994 response that their office had, quote, been unable to identify a record of service for the person concerned, end quote. Not true. On 23rd December 1994, I asked in writing for Senators Kennedy, D'Amato, and Moynihan to investigate this possible cover-up action. To date, there has been no substantive reply from any of the senators, and it appears that when there is an alleged legal CIA involvement, even angels fear to tread. So what do you think of that? Pretty well. You you got cut out there for a second for me. What did you say? What did you think? What do you think of that concept? I, I'm always wary when someone says I met with someone, they're a top secret agent. They asked me to do a thing. They told me a bunch of information. I was like, no, nah, not me. And then I like got away with it. There's only two options here. Either one, it's a total lie because they would never be like, hey, I'm going to let you know who you should kill. No one does that. Or two, dude killed that person is like, oh, but it wasn't me. <laughs> it could be. It kind of reminds me of bringing us way back to like the the mid twenties. We did missing four one one for a couple episodes, and the main guy behind that, who was once a cop, uh, but he was like a like a beat beat cop for for a while. He uh, what got him into that is he met with an a uh, 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 park or like a government ranger or whatever that on, on the condition of remaining anonymous, told him all the truth of all these people who keep going missing, and the government pretends it doesn't happen, even though. Right. You know, like that kind of thing. It kind of reminds me of that. It's like, well, 
now I, now I have to take you at your word. I don't have a choice. It's either I believe you right. or, or everything you just told me falls apart. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's funny that you say missing 411 because uh, the next section, 36 and 37, is called missing pieces. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, like a, uh, it's like a poem. It rhymes. You want to know what the original joke was there? The segue? Did I leave anything out? Anyway, time for 36 and 37, missing pieces. Just so you guys. That's a good. It's still pretty good, though. You know, yeah, I'm glad we great. went with what we did. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> now that we're through the autopsy photos, let's take a look at some weirdness having to do with two of the other pillars of the JFK assassination iceberg, the Zapruder film and the magic bullet. We're going to give another look at those. Uh, firstly, here is a quote from Douglas Horn, who is a chief analyst uh, from military records. For the Assassinations Records Review Board, and that's going to be for Mathis Street, and that's going to go in okay. Twitter. Okay. Mm, there it is. Here we go. The review board held a public hearing which was televised by C-SPAN. One of the people watching happened to be one of two people who actually magnified individual frames from the Zapruder film uh, the weekend of the assassination and made prints for three briefing boards for use in briefing high officials in the government. The individual who watched the Z-film uh, the individual who watched the Z film hearing on C-SPAN was named Morgan Bennett Hunter and his supervisor in 1963 was Homer McMahon. Both were then CIA employees at NPIC, the National Photo Interpretation Center. The story that Homer and his, and his assistant Ben told us was that on the weekend of the assassination, they had a film brought to them by the Secret Service. The Z film was brought to them at NPIC on either Saturday night or Sunday night after the assassination because they were positive it was before the president's funeral, which was on Monday. They said that the agent brought uh, what he represented to them as being the original Zapruder film. He did not come from Dallas. He came from Rochester, New York, where he said the film had been developed and he used a code word for a classified film laboratory that the CIA had paid Kodak to set up and run in Rochester, their headquarters and main industrial facility. Yeah. Uh, but in contrast to that, we already know, thanks to processing affidavits used to establish chain of custody for the film, that it was absolutely developed for sure in Dallas on November 22nd, the day of the assassination, before it went anywhere else. So if it was already developed, what was it doing in a photo lab in Rochester, New York? Uh, well, I have a possible reason for that uh, for Jesse to read from the same guy, Douglas Horn. Uh, and I'm going to drop that right into the Zoom chat. If the authentic original film was really shot in slow motion, and you wanted to remove certain events, such as the car stop on Elm Street that over 50 Daily Plaza eyewitnesses testified to. You would need to remove several frames and then recreate a film that runs at normal speed. And that is much shorter than the original in terms of total number of frames. Furthermore, if you wanted to eliminate evidence of shots from the front, you would need to black out the exit wound and the back of the head and in some frames and... Even more, uh, even remove some frames showing exit debris in midair. The image alteration in these frames would be done using the technique called aerial imaging at a facility that possessed a sophisticated optical printer. Which is exactly what the CIA Kodak photo lab in Rochester would have. Uh, and so during Kodak the break, is, it, is responsible for this? They, they made the lab. Yeah, they, they helped right, so the Kodak CIA. Kodak isn't on it. Oh, yeah, there it just goes all the way up to the top 
to Kodak. At the very top, Jesse, there's no such thing as a conspiracy where thousands of people aren't just keeping a secret, okay? Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm just wondering. I mean, just so, putting this out there. Kodak yeah. still exists as a company, yet how many people you know buying film? It's the Radio hmm? Shack of cameras. Hmm? Think about hmm? it. Hmm? Uh, yeah. no, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm curious. Hang on. So what this is saying is that these guys shot in slow motion to hide frames. Yeah, basically like, no, the, sh- the, the camera was the, the, the footage was shot in slow motion, which is more frames per second. Right. Like, right. If you shoot something that's supposed to run at 24 frames per second at 120 frames per second, if you play it sure. back, it's going to go slower. Right. So what they're saying yeah, is yeah, yeah, that makes sense. to edit it, you're removing the frames in between the frames and bringing those frames right. closer together for a normal speed clip that's going to run a lot shorter. You so know, they're saying there was some editing done. They're saying like, yeah, they'd go in and take out some of the clips in slow motion or black out some of the clips and move them together the, to make it look like my, it's. My other question was, and maybe I'm wrong, the, the kind of camera that was used, is it hand crank or is it at this time? Was it normal? Like, did it run on that its own? I am not 100 percent sure of. Because uh, if most, it's hand crank, yeah. you're immediately you're immediately. Uh, human error is going to be run rampant. Something surprising happens. The crank slows down. They stop. They pick it back up. uh, The the hand crank that's actually a hand crank is actually probably a little bit before this. And what you'd have is something on a spring. So you wind it first and then Uh, you let it it go and it just goes like this. You see the little handle go around. You know more than I do in terms of like that kind of camera back then. I have a camera like that that does that. Oh, cool. That's like one of these weird handheld ones. Uh, Hmm. It's like super eight something it's like not quite super eight something else but you know those On old home way. movie cameras yeah, yeah, cool. that's how they operated um but yeah what so basically this happened they 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 said hey we got the original zapruder film it's here from rochester which is wild because you'd think oh it was developed there and brought back but it wasn't it was definitely developed in texas so why was it there why was it coming back why did it happen during a break in the chain of custody uh and why did it come back to dallas even before the funeral so quickly uh, you know, like there's just a lot of questions about that. It's just like a weird thing. That's all it is. I'm, that's what this and whole we definitely have evidence is. that it did move to New York and go back. Right. We we have evidence other than somebody saying it. That's like what it is. It, uh, like that's okay. the it's the Secret Service agents brought them this uh, on the weekend of the assassination. It was brought to them at the MPIC. I don't know if that's like an official record, but I don't think these people have any reason okay. to lie about that. These are just the people that work there. Um, But yeah. Uh, now let's talk about the magic bullet. It has been a few weeks, but if you remember, uh, we know that according to the official story, we have one dude shooting bullets. That's Oswald. We have three bullets that he shot. And we know that one of those bullets skipped off the curb and cut that dude. James's face with shrapnel. We know about that one already. Then we know that there's the bullet hole in Kennedy's jacket. And then we know that there's a bullet hole in Kennedy's head. So that's canonically one miss, two hits. Obviously, the third shot was the explosive kill shot that we can see in the Zapruder film. So we know where that bullet went. Uh, And that basically just leaves that one middle bullet to do literally everything else. Uh, According to Arlen Specter from the Warren Commission, that means that middle bullet penetrated the president, then almost turned to enter Governor Connolly, then went through him, then went back into him again, and then stopped inside of him. Uh, If you want to see a classic version of this, uh, which is both seriously acted and parodied by Wayne Knight in Seinfeld and Oliver Stone's JFK, 
uh, a movie you should watch but shouldn't fully trust. Here's a link to to the clip uh, of the movie right here if you guys want to like throw that on in the background. But I'm sure you guys have yeah, seen. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw that up there right now. Uh, Let's take a yeah. look. That's solemn music is playing. Yeah, that's seven wounds, two people, one bullet. Right. That's that's a pretty crazy thing. It's like a two minute clip. So I'm just keep gonna keep talking, but you can kind of suss it as you watch. Uh, also. Wait, hang on. You yeah. sent us a link to the dark yeah, side of Hollywood, I'm, I'm Jerry like, Lewis. <laughs> yeah, what? we're currently watching this the dark side of Hollywood. Time this has happened. Do you? Are you all right? <laughs> Wait, what happened? You sent the us video a video. You linked us to a Vanity, a Vanity Fair, Fair dark side yeah, of Hollywood icon, Jerry Lewis. What are these fucking links that I'm getting? Like, I watched this video. I watched this clip. I mean, sure. I'm the sure dark side did. of Jerry Lewis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. An eight minute well, Vanity Fair video. Let's just put it this way. You guys know that there's a movie called JFK with this scene in it with Kevin Costner with the magic bullet. Uh-huh. It's parodied in Seinfeld. We have established this. You don't need Taking to watch it. Taking care of business. You can check it out. BTO. Taking care of business. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Seven wounds, two people, one bullet. And also, apparently, this is the same bullet that shows up mysteriously in pristine condition and free of any bloodstains on a stretcher in Parkland Hospital out of nowhere. Uh, And how can that even be possible if Governor Connolly died an old man later, years later, decades later from that bullet? Uh, He has he has led from that bullet still in his arm skeleton in his gravestone. How could the the bullet itself still be pristine? Uh, I have a link to Warren Commission Exhibit 399, uh, which shows both this bullet and a diagram of Arlen Specter's version of the bullet trajectory. You can try and explain that to the people if you want, but you can really talk to, to with, you know, that bullet is untouched. That bullet is very clean for something that went through two people and caused seven injuries. And what we're looking at is the bullet, obviously, which does look in pristine condition. The back of it is bent, I think, or something. Yeah, it's a little I don't mushed. know what that bottom picture is. It's a little mush, yeah, but it's definitely the, not fragmented. There's the diagram showing the bullet would, would, would have entered kind of like between his shoulder blades in through his through his throat, out his shoulder, and then rotated and into, I assume that's Governor Con- Connolly, right? Like yeah, that, it's actually an amazing arm. sketch of Governor Connolly, too. I want to just give credit to the artist here. That looks a lot like Governor Connolly. But it's, yeah, and it would it have is, entered his arm and out his wrist. It yeah. is important to note the shift of the bullet. Like it is yeah, it straight on spins. when it hits Kennedy, it exits Kennedy and then spins. And then the spin, basically the butt end of the bullet is what hits it like the governor. Rotates and through then his body, I guess. I don't goes know. Goes through his body, then out his hand, his arm, then back through his arm, then back out the other side of his arm. While still maintaining like a spin. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then if you want some sense of how some high profile people were feeling about this feeling at the time. What? That's not what I meant to say. Feeling about this (laughs) at the time. Here's a short little phone call clip from Mathis and Jesse to read. Mathis is going to be Senator Richard Russell, uh, chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee and actual member of the Warren Commission. And Jesse is going to be President Lyndon Baines Johnson. Oh, boy. Yes. <clears throat> they was trying to prove that the same bullet that hit Kennedy first was the one that hit Connolly and went through him and went through his hand and his bone and into his leg and everything else. But they said that the commission believed that the same bullet that hit Kennedy hit Connolly. Well, I don't believe it. I don't either. Yeah. So neither Johnson 
nor the senator uh, believed this. And this dude is on the Warren Commission. You know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, that bullet thing, pretty wild. Like I say, I'm going to do a pro lone gunman theory episode later. So I know there's people who are angry about the gun stuff. I know that. I know there are alternative explanations about these guns. You got to open up your mind, people. Open up that, it's that not brain. That. It's and allow just- the, the part of your brain that's like, hey, logic, turn it off. Okay. <laughs> and then just sit back and absorb it like I'm talking to you about aliens. Yeah, just like become stupid for a minute. Yeah, you just have to be stupid for a little bit. I'm sometimes. just trying to educate you about what people are saying. Like, I want you guys right. to understand this conspiracy theory from the it's a big one. Uh, He's a big boy. Yeah, it's a big old boy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I say, I'm going to do a pro lone gunman theory episode later. But there is certainly enough going on here to give someone pause. Uh, and certainly. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit more about Louisiana D.A. Jim Garrison in. 38 and 39, Jim Garrison. Yeah. First, Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan. Ah. Jim Gaffigan. Uh, No, let's first do a brief summary of Harrison's involvement with the case. I mean, sorry, Garrison's involvement with the case, not George Harrison, which has been so hard not to say. Uh, (laughs) Jim Garrison, not George Harrison. Uh, Basically, (laughs) very different. Basically, like I said, he was the DA of New Orleans in 1966. And he started to look into the JFK assassination because on the day it went down, an FBI agent in New Orleans called Guy Bannister pistol whipped a private detective called Jack Martin over missing files or a phone bill or something like that. And Martin was so pissed off that to get back at him, he ratted Bannister out, saying that he'd seen him with this dude, David Ferry, who he thinks might have been connected to the assassination. All these are family names for me. And this is very weird. (laughs) He said Ferry knew Oswald from when they were serving in the New Orleans Civil Air Patrol. And then he drove to Dallas from New Orleans the night of November 21st. And that he, quote, was supposed to have been the getaway pilot in the assassination, end quote. This led all the way up the ladder to a businessman in town called Clay Shaw being arrested and taken to trial three years later. And during the trial, Garrison was actually the guy who originally subpoenaed the Zapruder film from the Life magazine who owned it. And then and this was the way that people ended up being able to see the Zapruder film for the first time. Uh, His aides were like bootlegging the film as they were working with it, which is kind of cool. And then I think like in like 10 years ago or something, uh, Garrison's daughter actually like gave out his personal copy of it too, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that's one of the big things about this Garrison case is that it got us the Zapruder film. Uh, but anyway, in the years leading up to the trial, Garrison kicked off a huge investigation that uncovered tons of crazy witnesses and evidence of FBI and CIA intervention and mafia connections. Uh, but without getting too far into the weeds, we'll jump deep into that in a later episode. Let's just focus on Oswald, Clay Shaw, and the idea that the official story was altered on purpose to cover up key details as we move forward. Firstly, there's Dean Andrews. Dean Andrews was a smooth-talking Southern attorney who knowingly concealed that this guy, Clem Bertrand, was actually Clay Shaw. Uh, You know, people were talking about this guy, Clem Bertrand. They're actually talking about Clay Shaw. Garrison was using him, in this case, to establish that link between Lee Harvey Oswald and Clay Shaw, which I'll talk about in a second. But here is a little conversation from Garrison's book for you guys to read, which shows that he was likely intimidated into changing his story. Jesse is going to reprise his role as Jim Garrison, and Mathis is going to be Dean Andrews, the smooth-talking country lawyer. 
Oh God. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. <clears throat> That's a challenging role for someone like me. He's not professionally trained. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, wait, where do we? St- okay, there it is. You start. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. If you lied to the grand jury as you have been lying to me, I'm going to charge you with perjury. Now, am I communicating with you? Uh, is this uh, is this off the record, Daddyo? I'm nodding. He nods. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, in that case, let me sum it up for you real quick. It's as simple as this. If I answer that question, you keep asking me. If I give you the name, you keep trying to get. Then it's a goodbye, Dean Andrews. It's bon voyage, Dino. I mean, like permanent. I mean, like a bullet in my head, which makes it hard to do one's legal research if you get my drift. Does that help you see my problem a little better? Now read my lips. I can't tell if there's some chemistry between us, but are we going to have sex right now? <laughs> That's how I feel. Uh, this is like Gambit from X-Men talking to a clone of himself. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the smooth talking no, southern man, man for this. I think we all both of you guys are here. You're the same smooth talking man. <laughs> Read my lips. Either you dance in to the grand jury with the real moniker of that cat you called, who called you to represent Lee Oswald, or your fat behind is going to the slammer. You dig me? I stand up suddenly. Do you have any idea what you're getting into, my man? You want to dance with the government? Is that what you want? Then be my guest. But you will get sat on, and I do mean hard. Oh my God. Are we about to have <laughs> sex right now? <laughs> I did rent an Airbnb down the street. Screw the Airbnb. I'm taking care of it right here in this room. Every right day. Now. Middle of the street. <laughs> Working overtime. Work out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. What a, what a conversation. Take if that was business. a real conversation. Right? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. What a weird conversation. It's fucking nuts. Uh, another interesting thing that Garrison uncovered uh, was the possibly doctored testimony of witness Julia Ann Mercer, who I'll, I'll read about uh, for you from Garrison's own interactions with her personally. <clears throat> About an hour before the assassination, she had been driving west on Elm Street and had been stopped just past the grassy knoll by traffic congestion. To her surprise, because she recalled that the president's parade is coming soon, she saw a young man in the pickup truck to her right dismount, carrying a rifle not too well concealed in a covering of some sort. She then observed him walk up the grassy hill, which forms part of the overpass. She looked at the driver several times, got a good look at his round face and brown eyes, and he looked right back at her. Mercer also observed that three police officers were standing near a motorcycle on the overpass bridge above her and just ahead. She recalled that they showed no curiosity about the young man climbing the side of the grassy knoll with the rifle. After the assassination, when Mercer sought to make this information available to law enforcement authorities, their response was almost frenzied. At the FBI office, where she went that day after the assassination, she was shown a number of mug shots. Among the several she selected as resembling the driver was a photograph of Jack Ruby. On Sunday, when she saw Ruby kill Oswald on television, she positively recognized him as the driver of the pickup truck and promptly notified the local bureau office. Nevertheless, the FBI altered her statement so it did not note that she had made a positive identification. She laughed when she pointed this out to me. See, she said, the FBI made it just the opposite of what I really told them. Then she added, he was only a few feet away from me. How could I not recognize Jack Ruby when I saw him shoot Oswald on television? The Dallas Sheriff's Office went through the same laborious fraud and added an imaginative touch of its own. 
Although Mercer had never been brought before any notary, the sheriff's office filed a sworn affidavit stating that she did not identify the driver, although she might, quote, if I see him again, and significantly change in other facts. See that notarized signature, she asked me? That's not my signature, either. I saw my name with a big A like this. She produced a pen and wrote a name for me. It was clear that the signature the Dallas Sheriff's Office had on its altered statement was not even close to hers. Thank you to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. And I am such a HelloFresh addict at this point that even if with all these things they want me to say, I would say half of them anyway. But anyway, yeah, the main key witness in the trial was this dude, Perry Russo from Baton Rouge, who was just like an insurance salesman or something. But he testified that he went to some kind of anti-Castro hangout at Ferry's apartment, uh, David Ferry's apartment, where he saw Leon Oswald, a.k.a. Lee Harvey Oswald. And like I said, Clem Bertrand, who was Clay Shaw. And they all talked about killing JFK together and how there was going to be, quote, triangulation of crossfire and fake alibis and all this stuff. Anyway, (laughs) Ferry said that he never met Oswald in his life, uh, never talked to him, never interacted with him or anything. But just to give a little credit to all these people who said they saw them together, here is a real fucking verified picture of them together, Ferry and Oswald serving in the New Orleans Civil Air Patrol in 1955. Dead ass. You can see Dead ass. He, you can see Ferry second from left uh, and uh, Oswald is on the far right in the back unmistakably. I'm going to have to believe you on that cuz I don't know what these guys look like I, other than like I know I mean, what Oswald kind of looks like but I don't know what this other guy looks like. Yeah, I'm going to just I'm going to tell he you. He looks like a dork with a white t-shirt on I mean and that's a a, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of yeah. Yeah. a lot of dudes is, in white this t-shirts. This is a this is a well established photograph. This this is very much actually them. Just yeah. for the right. oh, yeah. yeah, I believe. I believe. Uh but yeah. Once Ferry was fingered as a conspirator in Garrison's case, he got really upset uh, at one of Garrison's aides, Lou Ivan, over the phone. And he was quoted as saying, you know what this news story does to me, don't you? I'm a dead man. From here on, believe me, I'm a dead man. Uh, And less than a week after the details of Garrison's investigation broke in the New Orleans States item on February 22nd, 1967, Ferry was found dead in his apartment, and according to the coroner, it was because he had a cerebral hemorrhage due to a congenital intracranial berry aneurysm at the base of his brain. That means he was born with it. That's what congenital means. Uh, Weirdly, though, despite it being a random defect that he'd had since birth, they also found two typed notes in his apartment, one that started with, quote, to leave this life is, for me, a sweet prospect, and ended with, All the state needs is evidence to support a conviction. If this is justice, then justice be damned. And then another letter in which he left all his possessions to his best friend, Al Bo Buff, uh, which started, quote, when you read this, I will be quite dead and no answer will be possible. And ended with the words, as you sowed, so shall you reap. Some people say this sounds less like a suicide note and more like the words of someone who knows people are coming for him. But I don't know what you guys think. Uh, but that's pretty weird to have that in your apartment if you died of a uh, congenital berry aneurysm in your brain. You know what I mean? Ugh. Yeah. Less I mean, than a is, week after you've been weird. fingered as the guy who's going to be in this trial. Pretty weird. Uh, also, another witness Garrison was trying to get a statement from, anti-Castro Cuban congressman in exile, Eladio Del Valle, 
was brutally tortured before being shot point blank in the heart and left with an axe wedged in his skull on the same day that David Ferry was found dead, who he allegedly knew personally and even firebombed Sugarfields together with in Cuba. Uh, so think what you will about Garrison, but those are some pretty weird deaths. And speaking of weird deaths, here's 40 through 45. Weird deaths. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, first death we're going to talk about is Dorothy Kilgallen. Kilgallen. She was a reporter for the New York Evening Journal who competed with two other New York paper reporters in a race around the world using publicly available transport in 1936. Uh, she started the Voice of Broadway column and radio show in the New York Journal American in 1938. Ran for almost 30 years. She's famous for like jeopardizing and destroying her personal friendship with Frank Sinatra in 1948 by publishing a huge front page feature on him. Uh, And in 1956, probably most popularly, she was famous for serving as one of the panelists on What's My Line for 15 years. So she's one of the yeah, she's one of the panelists on there. Uh, However, she was also very publicly at odds with the Warren report and her belief that Kennedy was assassinated as the result of a conspiracy and vowed to keep prying into the case until she broke it, starting with being the only reporter in America allowed to have a private interview with Jack Ruby. So she's the only reporter ever who's granted permission to talk to him in private and nobody knew anything that Ruby said to her. And she said that she was about to blow the whole thing wide open in her new book. But then, unfortunately, on November 8th, 1965, She was found dead at home in the bed of her beautiful Manhattan townhouse, overdosed on alcohol and barbiturates uh, with no sign of violence or suicide. It was ruled as likely accidental. However, this didn't square with the fact that she was discovered with about 15 to 20 pills worth of a mixture of Nembutal, Sikinol and Tuinol in her system, which would have really fucked her up to try and take on her own in those amounts. Uh, And it was extra strange because she had been seen totally chill and in a coherent state very shortly before her death. Also, she was in the master bedroom, which was like a red flag for her friends because she was not in a loving relationship with her husband and she would never sleep in that bed. Uh, And she wasn't in her usual pajamas. She was in like a blue bed jacket over a nightgown, which is like a very fancy dress for her. She also had her makeup on and her false eyelashes on, which she never wore to bed. And there was a book on her nightstand uh, that she had set there like she had just been reading it, even though it was a book that she had already read and talked about with her friends. And also she needed reading glasses to read, but none of those like there was no reading glasses anywhere. There's no vomiting, no any mess, nothing like that. It's like she was cleaned up and placed there almost. Also, unsurprisingly, her JFK notes were gone and the friend she gave backups to another journalist called Flo Pritchett was found dead two days later. Of a cerebral hemorrhage, uh, most likely resulting from her battle with late stage leukemia that she was fighting. Uh, but also her copy of her notes was also gone. It's just weird timing. What happened to those notes? Incredibly strange. Pretty weird. That's some pretty weird stuff. Uh, also, next weird death. I mean, it is. It's yeah. very conspiratorially also like convenient. Yeah. Next weird death is Lee Bowers. Bowers was a witness to the assassination who had the rare distinction of watching from above since he was operating the Union Terminal Company's two-story interlocking tower at that time, which overlooked the parking lot north of the grassy knoll. He said he saw two men standing near the fence there at the knoll at the time of the shooting and that he saw some sort of flash of light or smoke coming from near where the men were standing as the motorcade went by. During his questioning by the Warren Commission, he was cut off mid-sentence by the lawyer Uh, He was talking to as he began describing, quote, something out of the ordinary 
And friends of his, along with his minister, had said he was afraid to discuss everything he saw with the people who questioned him. In fact, here's some of the testimony we do have from him for Mathis to read. And why don't you guys listen to Matt, what Mathis says right now, and then you tell me if he sounds like he was coached to specifically say he saw nothing incriminating. You tell me how this sounds to you. Okay. <clears throat> These two men were standing back from the street, somewhat at the top of the incline, and were very near two trees which were in the area. And one of them, from time to time, as he walked back and forth, disappeared behind a wooden fence, which is also slightly to the west of that. These two men, to the best of my knowledge, were standing there at the time of the shooting. Now I could see back now I could see back or the south side of the wooden fence in the area. So that so that obviously wait, so that obviously that there were was no one there who could have uh, had anything to do with either as accomplice or anything else, because there was no one there um, at the moment that the shots were fired. So. Super, super confident first part. And then he's like, oh, yeah. And then also this. And that means that nobody that I was looking at could have ever done anything. They couldn't have been an accomplice. They couldn't have been anything at the time the shots were fired. And I know that for sure. Like, it just it just hits the ear strangely. Uh, mm. But yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Uh, Jesse, you've been like cackling down there. Is there like something on your mind? No, it's just we're in the weeds now. This we're is deep. the part of the yes. whole oh, thing yeah. that's just like. You know, it, 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 everybody's a suspect. Yeah. It's it, again, it's because as people try to withhold information, uh, you know, like going back to the very, very beginning, I, I was thinking about this then, and I've still been thinking about it. Just even going back to Kennedy's head and the idea of his head and the doctors and everyone operating, like there could even be simple explanations of like, dude, it's the president. We don't want photos of the president with a giant hole in his head existing. Yeah. So let's manipulate this. So that's not a thing that will ever happen. Right. Like things like people could have good intentions. Those good intentions lead to, uh, you know, the, the murkiness of the situation and that murkiness then devolves into, well, we have no answers. So let's create answers. And then those, those fake answers spawn other fake answers, spawn other fake answers, spawn theories, then conspiracies, then all these different things. And then, Everyone has a thing to say and everyone yep. adds to it. And now suddenly we are like caught in the swamp of disinformation. And it's like, all right, well, is this person saying it because it's what's happened or because they want to be involved in the circus of the whole thing? And it's like, yeah. we're officially in that part where it's like, everyone's saying a thing <laughs> and I trust none of it. <laughs> like, yeah. and, oh and boy. When you get this and to, to, to bounce off that. When you get this deep into the weeds, there's no longer room for coincidences <clears throat> when the world itself is filled with them all the fucking time. And, and now, but when you get this deep in, everything is intentional. Nothing is a coincidence. Everybody that looks suspicious is involved on some deep governmental level. And the, the problem with that and with most conspiracy is no matter what someone says to counter the conspiracy, there is a counter to that. Yeah, and there's you, and always it, and a way it to keeps going it's it. cyclical over and over and over and over again. So if you were, so if I were to tell you that the government planned it and you said, well, actually, here's a study that says that they did not. I would say, well, who paid for that study? The government like that. And it just keeps going. There's no yeah, winning. You have to. It's, it's, it's that whole idea. And like, we're not. By the way, Alex, we're just not to tangent off of no, this. But this like, is what I want. It's like uh, when in terms of just like when it comes to conspiracy theories, the government has to both be all knowing and all powerful, much like any fascist or, or cult like idea where 
the government is all powerful and capable of doing all these things, but so sloppy that it's so easy to see as long as you know the truth. Absolutely. And it's like they're they They do not. There's no core. You can't coexist in that way. Like it's impossible. Like every enemy has to be the strongest enemy and yet the weakest enemy at the same time. It's true. Look, it's the same it, is, idea. it is the exact same thing as when people say I do not believe Joe Biden is the president. It is all a cover up. It's all a thing. Donald Trump is the president. Also, gas prices are the president's fault. Right. Oh, you mean the fake president? Yeah, fake president, president is not actually Joe in control, Biden? but he's in control of just enough that he can do these well, things. It's all but not set up. Enough. It's like that sort of disassociation where it's like you yeah. can't have it both ways. It's got to right? be one but of the other the people. Only way. It's the only way it makes sense for for, for the, when you get this deep, like when you get this deep and you're somebody who truly believes that, you know, they're in the truth and they're not in the weeds to get out of that is like triple the amount of work. Yeah, 100%. You're so deep. You have to undo years and craziness and, and accept that the world is chaos sometimes and coincidences and shit like that are going to happen and not everything is a conspiracy, which is scarier for a lot of people to be like, yeah, people like I'm at the whim nice little of bows, or like wrapped up in a nice little package done. We have our answers. Let's move on, which again yep. is why in ages past religion was much more prevalent because it gave yep. you the easy. nice wrapped up package. It was easy. And now as there's more and more science, more and more people are like, well, I don't know that religion is the answer, but now they're like science is the answer. Who knows? Yep. A thousand years from now, what it will maybe like, like future science, like old science. That's for idiots. Future. science, And it's not even it's not even about just serious stuff either. Like people are like, Mm -hmm. no, every July for the last three years, Nintendo has announced a new switch. So that means that a new switch is coming out this week. You know, like it's Lydia, it's everything, everything in the world you can look at. It's, it's like, what like is looking that at knuckle bones. New, is it numerology where you look at numbers and yeah, find yeah. patterns that aren't the, uh, there and JFK, do all the uh, QAnon guys? The thing doing, we talked yeah. about. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that whole like they're doing the numbers and the math and that proves because the or, or, because the world is geometry and reality isn't real and everything is a pattern. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what is true? Then you be, then you dissolve into numbers when you smoke too much weed. Indeed. And what is true, though, is that Lee Bowers died and it might not surprise you to hear that he died in August of 1966 in what was officially uh, said to be, quote, a one car accident on a long, open, lonely stretch of road near Midlothian, Texas. Uh, But that also there were eyewitness reports of another car running him off the road. This claim was investigated by Texas Highway Patrol officer Charles Good, and he concluded that it was possible that a car run him off the road. And also, perhaps more importantly, Bowers was not killed on impact, and when emergency workers arrived, he was alive. And when he was talking to emergency workers, he used some of the last moments that he had on Earth to tell them that he thought he'd been drugged when he stopped to get coffee a few miles back. It's a pretty weird death. Next weird death goes to Mary Pinchot Pincho Meyer. Mary Pincho Meyer. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm so so sorry. She was a painter and journalist. <laughs> You're doing your best, Pincho. Uh, she was a painter and a journalist who was married to CIA agent Cord Meyer from 1945 to 1958. But after that became much more important to history as one of President John F. Kennedy's many and possibly most serious and emotionally invested extramarital relationship, according to those who ran in circles with them. Uh, and that's a pretty well-established thing. Like in, if you go to this person's Wikipedia entry, like that's the main thing is that they were very involved together. Like it's. This is not a JFK fringe theory. JFK liked to bone down. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. He was a bony boy. This was not a fringe theory. 
Uh, this they were involved together after Kennedy's death, sure. like Kilgallen. She was just absolutely sure a conspiracy had taken place, claiming to friends that it was Cuban exiles and the mafia working with elements within the CIA who killed him and that she knew this 100 percent for sure for a fact. However, less than a year after the assassination on October 12th, 1964, during her post painting walk alongside the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal towpath, she was approached by a, quote, Black man in a light jacket, dark slacks, and a dark cap who fired two point-blank 38 caliber bullets, one into her back and one into her temple, in a manner consistent with a killer, quote, highly trained in the use of firearms. Originally, a man called Ray Crump was brought in as the suspect, and it went all the way to trial uh, because he was wet, and he was like in the area, and his pants were pulled down, and some guy saw him... He's, some guy saw a black guy trailing her the day before who was running some army guy, but he was eventually acquitted since he didn't really match the description the person uh, witnesses saw. Uh, he was like 50 pounds heavier or something than those people. And later in a book, uh, his attorney revealed far after the fact that he was actually having sex with someone just before the murder. And there was a very well established alibi for that, but that the woman that he was with wouldn't testify because she didn't want to get in trouble with her husband. Pretty crazy. Uh, this murder is a whole situation. There are multiple books just about this murder. Uh, and there's way more to get into here, including that that guy who was jogging and who saw who he said was Crump. Uh, he had the same name as the operational code name that was like supposedly used by the real assassin here, William L. Mitchell. Apparently, that might have been the real assassin was that guy jogging. Uh, but here is a quote from one of these books about this case called Mary's Mosaic by Peter Janney for Jesse to read. I'm going to drop that into the Zoom chat here for you. Former killers who had been in the cleaning business for the CIA have openly talked about it and revealed that it was done exactly how it looks like it was done. That They had one of our cleaning men nail her down by the towpath while she was out for her daily jog. She was eliminated because she knew too much. Bam. Less than a year. Easy. After. Yeah. Our president's girlfriend moided. Next weird death is Sam Giancana, a heavy-duty mobster who was literally the actual boss of the Chicago outfit from 1957 to 1966, tippy-tippy-top, and whose house and activities were under 24-hour FBI surveillance to the point that he was known to tease them and give them shit on the golf course as they followed him around. He was so used to having this surveillance on him at all times. Some sources name him as partially responsible for Kennedy's victory in the 1960 presidential election. And during a CIA plot to assassinate Fidel Castro, he was recruited along with a few other mobsters like Santo Traficante Jr. and Carlos Marcello into an op that may have lasted all the way up to and included the Kennedy assassination itself. We know for sure that this op was real. We do not know that it went all the way up to the Kennedy assassination. Uh, but he, they, he was hired by the CIA for real. Anyway, he served one year in prison in 1965 after being convicted of contempt of court. Then he ran off to Cuernavaca, Mexico for eight years before being departed back to Oak Park, Illinois, where he was eventually murdered on June 19th, 1975. And here's a quote from Mathis to read from JFK, The Dead Witnesses by Robert by Craig Roberts and John Armstrong. That's going to give you a little. I was going to say, this is a quote from dead JFK. And I was like, how do you do that? He's like, like I like uh, the green stone. <laughs> uh, so, uh, all right. <clears throat> that night, while cooking in the kitchen of his Chicago home, which was described by many as a fortress or bunker, Giancana came under the came under the gun. 
According to both his daughter and the police, who stated that Giancana was invulnerable in his own home due to the security systems and and impregnability of the structure, only someone who knew or trusted could have gotten to him. Giancana would would have let them in, gone back to cooking, and then been surprised when the assailant or assailants pulled a .22 pistol. He was shot once in the back of the head and a few more times through the chin while he was cooking in the basement. And nobody knows who did it, but it is true that at the time he was scheduled to testify before a Senate committee specifically looking into mafia involvement in a failed CIA plot to assassinate Castro, which, like I said, could have possibly revealed connections to part of the Kennedy situation that certain government agencies didn't want becoming public knowledge. Uh, Check out this timeline from the book uh, about this murder. Tell me what you think. June 19th, 1975, members of the Senate's church committee arrive in Chicago for the express purpose of escorting Sam Giancana to Washington for his appearance before the committee. At 9 p.m. that night, two, quote, law enforcement officers, end quote, are observed outside Sam Giancana's home by his neighbors in Oak Park, a wealthy suburb of Chicago. 9 p.m. At 11.15 p.m. that night, three surveillance cars reportedly leave the area of Sam Giancana's home. 15 minutes later, at 11.30 p.m., Sam Giancana is murdered inside his home. The next day, June 20th, 1975, the Chicago Tribune reports the murder of Sam Giancana and allegations are made that the murder was sanctioned by the CIA. But then, the next day after that, June 21st, 1975, the Chicago Tribune reports that Giancana's house was under surveillance on the night that he was killed, even though we know that they left 15 minutes before he was murdered. And if that's not enough... Less than two months later, the body of another Chicago mobster set to testify before the same committee, John Handsome Johnny Roselli, was found chopped up and floating in an oil drum in Dumbfoundling Bay near Miami, Florida, like in August of that year. Uh, So just a few months later. And if that's not a weird death. Unfortunate way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If that's not a weird death, I don't know what is. Now let's move on to 46 through 48. The end. Parentheses of episode one. There's not much left I want to share from this book, uh, but before I do, I just want to point out that there is a lot more in this book that I haven't covered. Uh, but again, it all centers around a theory that I don't really subscribe to. The book is not very well researched uh, or at least very well cited. Uh, but again, it all centers around a theory, CIA, FBI, mafia, Cuba kind of theory. Uh, so I'd rather approach some of the stuff in those last 15 reasons that Governor Ventura gives uh, from other angles. So if you out of curiosity yeah. in future episodes, are we going to cover uh, mob or mafia angles? Yeah, I just don't want to do it following cool. Governor Jesse. No, Ventura. No, yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah, I'm just curious because it's, it's another wildly interesting side of things. I've I've have you ever watched like Vlad or something on YouTube where he does interviews with with like, oh, yeah, high I've seen, profile. I've, I've seen like, so much. Yeah, shit, yeah, I've been going deep. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. OK, cool. All right. Continue. Yeah, Sorry, I'm going to do I'm going to get into that stuff, but I just. I don't want to do it through this way because he he kind of fudges stuff sometimes. And I've been no, for sure. I've been having sure. to like unfudge it as I go. Yeah. Uh, if you want to keep going <laughs> yeah. down Jesse Ventura's rabbit hole, grab the book yourself. It's easy to get. doesn't cost very much. Uh, but before we go, the last few things I would categorize as big revelations with no real conclusions. In June of 1997, 33 years after the Warren Commission, 40,000 pages of records belonging to the commission's chief counsel, J. Lee Rankin were made public by the Assassination Record Review Board, and it revealed a bombshell piece of info involving yet another American president, eventual American president. Here's an abridged version of that article 
for Jesse to read. It's from the Associated Press. I'm going to give you a little quotey boy. Let me see if I can get it in here. Nope, it's going in Twitter. Okay. 33 years ago, Gerald R. Ford took pen in hand and changed ever so slightly the Warren Commission's key sentence on the place where the bullet entered John F. Kennedy's body when he was killed in Dallas. The effect of Ford's change was to strengthen the commission's conclusion that a single bullet passed through Kennedy and severely wounded Texas Governor John Connolly, a crucial element in its findings that Lee Harvey Oswald was the sole gunman. This is the most significant lie in the whole Warren Commission report, said Robert D. Morningstar, a computer system specialist in New York City, who said he has studied the assassination, 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 the assassination since it occurred and written an Internet book about it. The effect of Ford's editing, Morningstar said, was to suggest that a bullet struck Kennedy in the neck, raising the wound two or three inches. Without that alteration, they could never have hoodwinked the public as to the true number of assassins. If the bullet had hit Kennedy in the back, it could not have struck Connolly in the way the commission said it did, he said. Here's the thing. Look, I don't want to have to say this, but I'm going to say it. Anyone can get a book published these days. And if you got to be not an even, internet didn't published even get person, published. this is the 90s. That's what I'm saying. This is the 90s You got to be internet published. Internet published in the 90s. None of what you said is true. Was it angelfire.com slash web slash HTML? Kennedy assassination. No, this is a vetted article from the Associated Press. Like this is a fact checked article, right? Fair, fair. It is AP. It is the AP. But yeah, so that's the thing. That's one big thing I think is worth knowing. Just like, wow, he literally just moved it. And when they asked him about it, he was like, I was just doing it for clarity. I wasn't trying to cover up anything. I just did it for clarity. So he really did do it. He really admitted that he did it. You know what I mean? Uh, Gerald Ford. Uh, Another thing that I think is worth knowing about is a technique for getting the answer that you want from somebody that you're interviewing. And it's called say now, prove later, Uh, where the idea is asking someone a question about something that will be proved later really limits what they can actually say as an answer to that question. They can basically just say, you just ask somebody if what, if this, if this is true, is this true? And you're like, what? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so I'm going to have Mathis read you guys a quote, uh, from Arlen Specter, the guy who invented the magic bullet theory, the guy who like brought that out in the Warren commission, Mathis, you're going to read a line of questioning that this guy did, uh, and, oh God. Okay. and you tell me if this is a chill way to ask a question. Uh, All right, I'm ready. It's going in Twitter. Okay, this is just Twitter, one question, it. by the way. This is one yeah. question. All right, it's loading. Here we go. <clears throat> Permit me to add some fact, which I shall ask you to assume as being true for purposes of having you expressed an opinion. First of all, Assume that the president was struck by a 6.5 millimeter copper jacketed bullet from a rifle having a muzzle velocity of approximately 2000 feet per second at the time when the president was approximately 160 to 200 feet from the weapon with the president being struck from the rear at the downward angle of approximately 45 degrees being struck in the upper right posterior thorax just above the upper border of the scapula 14 centimeters from the tip of the right acromim process and 14 centimeters below the tip of the right mastoid process. That was one sentence, everybody. Jesus assume Christ. That. Assume, that. Still more. assume that. And now, can I just immediately tell you, this is how Ben Shapiro talks. <laughs> this is this is literally Ben Shapiro's way of answering questions uh, or asking questions. 
assume further that the missile passed through the body of the president, striking no bones, traversing the neck and sliding between the muscle and the posterior aspect of the president's body through a fascia channel without violating the pleural cavity, uh, but only but bruising only the apex of the right pleural cavity and bruising the most apical portion of the right lung, then causing a hematoma to the right of the larynx, which you have described, and creating a jagged wound in the trachea, then exiting precisely at the point where you observe the puncture wound to exist. Now, based on those facts, was the appearance of the wound, in your opinion, consistent with being an exit wound? What an asshole. Isn't that insane? What a piece of garbage. He's like, that's not, that's, assume this, assume that, this is all fact, then this would be he's true, like, right? He's like, assume my entire theory is true. Is it true? <laughs> like, it's it's so I hate people who talk like if, if, if there's no logic there, but you confuse somebody immediately by throwing that much out there. And if you're constantly saying assume, 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 then obviously what you're trying to get to at the end is me to say yes. Yeah. And that's uh, that's pretty much a, a thematic theme for this entire JFK investigation is like that feeling Fighting against that feeling. Uh, And finally, I have one last thing I'm going to read myself. Uh, But before I do, I just want to say thanks to everybody for sticking with me. Chiluminati rules. And that I promise I'll make good on every last promise I've made real soon. Uh, Also, I'm going to be starting a big post with every link, clip, and image I still have for every Chiluminati script I've ever written. Uh, And I'm going to update it from now on for every new episode that I make as well. Just links and images and pictures. Look for it soon on r slash Chiluminati pod. It's not the Patreon. Uh, Yeah, that's the the official slogan for that. Anyway, uh, this next quote is not going to be on that post. Here we go. Yeah, I'm ready. A sinister, dark presence God in a haunted you. cottage. God damn you. A bell that rings by itself. A priceless, ancient jewel protected by a terrible curse. This is the true story of a paranormal investigation that went horribly wrong. It is March 1982. As the last snows of winter fall, a seance is held at the Parasearch headquarters. <laughs> The psychics involved experience a remarkable vision of a red gemstone, the priceless Stop. eye of fire <laughs> taken from the hilt of King Arthur's legendary sword. No! No! But at the height of the meeting, a strange present unexpectedly appears in a corner of the darkened room, bringing a sudden and terrifying end to the evening. Now the investigation is plagued by the evil dark figure. To find the stone, they must solve the riddle of the old bell in the ruined abbey. But in the attempt, they release a terrible curse which protects the ancient red jewel. So the hunters become the hunted. Their search becomes a matter of life or death as the desperate bid to find the stone soars to a horrifying climax. Coming soon. They have to find the opposite, the green stone, to protect themselves from the red stone. I don't know, man. This is crazy. Uh... There's a red Are stone. Are you in control next week? There's a red stone. I'm done. You. I'm done. JFK episode one, done. Whatever is cool. Coming. So what in my control next week? Then? Yeah. Whatever's coming you know next. What? No. Okay, no, cool. You know what? No, I'm going to take over. Okay. All right. <laughs> Jesse episode nonsense. next week. I'm tired of this nonsense. No, I was just going to talk about another murder. No, no, so no, 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 no. I'm tired of this. I, I'll, I'll handle it. I'll handle it. <laughs> All right. Next week, a Jesse episode, everybody. And uh, what a first opening volley of the JFK series to uh, continue on in 2022 as we get further along. I'm excited to see where it goes. Team Redstone, who's in it? 
Let us know. I'm, I'm going to go. I got to go with OG Green. OG I got to stick with Team Green. I'm going Team Greenstone. I, I'm calling it now. Um, Jesse, what about you? Uh, I mean, Team Greenstone, always, always. Excellent. Excellent. Always. I'm going to go. One day, we, we will see Michael Raperez on this show one more time at some point. I'm going to go. Excited. I'm going to go for the hat trick. I'll see you guys next time. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Well, we're going to patreon.com slash Juliminati Pod. We're going to go do a mini so Bye. Me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.